0: Our scripture reading tonight is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 to 19. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, according to the working of his great might. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Carol. My, my, uh, my approach to the text is very simple tonight. And I, and I really, that doesn't mean it'll be short. Don't get your hopes up. It's simple, though. And it really hangs on verse 15. And, and what we're going to do is, is really, a, what I really want to hang things on is those first three words of, Verse 15, we'll be looking at other things, but that conjunction in verse 15 is what drew me to this particular message. For this reason, and he goes on to pray. Now, he goes on to describe his prayer life for the Ephesians. For this reason. Now, I, what I want to do is, what I want to grasp here, is, this is an idea I'm trying to grasp that I want you to walk with me in here. And so I want to reach into this idea that Paul is animated to pray as he grasps, as he articulates, as he sees and knows and understands and grows in understanding about the predestining, sovereign work of the counsels of God. Now, the reason I put this out is that that doesn't seem to follow. That would not seem to follow. Let's just be candid here. I grew, as a little child. We were Buddhists. Many of you know that story. But but my Christian experience is all Presbyterian, um, largely. And so it was catechized and things like that. And there is something you experience in the Presbyterian church. So I'm kind of speaking to Presbyterians a bit here, to those who are in love with the Reformed tradition, and that is there is a prayerlessness. There is a prayerlessness in the Reformed Church, that I cannot, for the life of me, understand. Something just, it frustrates me. Because that is the, that's, that's the accusation, by the way, that's the classic, that's the classic articulation of a classic, what's called an Arminian perspective, is to say, you know why we don't believe in predestination? Because it deadens the heart it, it removes uh, the, the the need the motive you know the, the, the animus the, the desire the, the the need to go out and tell people about Jesus or to go and pray because after all it's all predestined so what's the point? what's the point of prayer now even if we don't think it that that is practically in effect the way reformed Christians live and I, I'm not telling here I'm not telling stories here I, I'm one of them I'm one of them, and I have lived and have worked and wept and, and, and done all my work in Reformed churches. And you know what's one of the characteristics of the Reformed church? They do not pray. Not a whole lot. Oh, no, there are prayers in the worship. There are prayer times. There are pray- but I'm talking about whatever, what Paul's talking about. A kind of prayer that is seeking and, and going for God that is, that is no holds barred. Prayer. And that's what we're going to get to in Ephesians 3. As Paul begins to open his heart, you see there's more in God for you than you've guessed. And there's more available to you now than you probably wondered or even asked for. And something about this is I want to, I want to understand that conjunction. For this reason. All right, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the grammar and see where it gets us and see what we might learn. Now, you'll notice that there's actually two causative statements here in in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard. Now, it almost sounds like he's giving two reasons. (laughs) If you read it, it almost sounds like he's, that's not, that, that would be, that's a confusing, it wouldn't make any sense to say it that way. What he's saying is, for the reason I've just said, he's, he's, he's pointing backwards, for this reason I've just established. Now, how many, how many sentences, how many sentences in the Greek, how many sentences, not in the English, is are verses 1 through 14 in Greek? Anybody remember? One. <laughs> this has been one sentence. It's an insane sentence. Don't try to parse it. It'll take you all night. But it's old. That's a single thought. I, I, I go to great pains to point this out. There's a craft. There's a craft. There's an intention. Paul takes the Trinity. He goes from God the Father into God the Son, concluding with the Spirit. He puts time markers before the foundation of the world, and then he goes into the present tense, what we have already obtained, and then until we obtain it. He, so the reason I call your attention to these markers in the text syntactically is so you will know there is a thought. There is an an intention. Paul's writing very carefully. He's not not, uh, freehanding it. He's not just letting thoughts wander. He's saying something. And what I love is this point of verse 15, where having done this grand intro, the biggest, the longest prologue of any of Paul's letters, this this amazing theological prolegomena, he puts it out there, and he says, this is the reason. What I want to know is, I want, I want to touch that. I want to do more than touch it. I want to grab it. I want, I want those reasons in me. I want them living in you, too. I want them living in us. And I think that would be a great work of the Spirit, wouldn't it? For us to, when we hear that God, in his sovereign control, is working through a living sovereignty in space and time, and when we pray, we're, just, we're a part of that story, and all of it's unfolding, and all of it's beauty. I want you to beckon you into that. Get you excited again. Because a sterile, fatalistic view of God is not our God at all. So give that up. Let's, let's see where we can go with this. Let's see what we can understand. Now, um, and we'll begin with the, the reasons that he gives. Uh, the, 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 fir- the, the first thing I wanted to talk about, though, is kind the of problem, the problem with prayer. The problem, I've already begun to talk about it. And I'm already going to talk about a problem, a theological problem that I see. I want to go even further. There's bigger problems here. Because either you have this death in you, where you're fatalistically not praying because of unbelief or some misunderstanding of sovereignty. I'll get to that in a minute. Or, you pray all the time. Yeah, I pray all the time. I I pray all the time, Chris. Now, I want to issue a warning here, right out the gate, because there's a fundamental misunderstanding about prayer, and I think Paul knows it. Did you know that there are more promises from God in the Scripture to not hear prayer than there are for him to hear it? Do you know there's more warnings, more strenuous in front of you warnings, where God promises you he will not listen? There's more of those than there are promises that he will. You know, and that, that can be a little jarring when you first hear it. Because we tend to think of prayer as kind of an inalienable right. Don't we? Like, well, I have a right to talk to God. You, you can't stop me. You, well, I go, I can talk to God. God has to. And I think we have, a, we have a, an assumption. <laughs> a, 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 I'll call it a presumption, maybe. Not just an assumption, <laughs> but a presumption. that you know, Well, anything I say to God, he, say, he has to hear me. He hears all prayer. That is simply not true. It is nowhere said in the scriptures that God hears all prayer. In fact, he says, I do not hear the prayers of the wicked. I don't hear the prayers. I, he even goes as far as to say, I think in the New Testament, he makes it extremely clear, if you are outside of Jesus, you have no reason to hope in any prayer. Anymore. Now, not to put too fine a point on it, you, you tonight cannot claim Christ and I can offer you no assurance for your brand. Period. Whatever it is. Doesn't that sound mean? Anybody? There's some part of your heart, you're Americans, come on, we're Americans, or most of us are, and there's some part of us that just kind of goes, wow, wait a second, it's got to be, don't I have a spiritual bill of rights somewhere, don't I? We're very much about our rights, right? And asserting them, and claiming them, and working in them. And it can be very jarring to come to a God who says, yeah, you have no rights in my presence. You don't have any rights in yourself. You have no inalienable right to me. That's what the Lord says. You don't. No man comes to the Father, said Jesus, except through me. And a part of that Application of that principle is what? Prayer. I guess, in a sense, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because there's so much nonsense about prayer in our generation. There's so much weird teaching about triumphalistic visions of prayer, and there can be maddening and, and, and bewildering and frustrating. And so, I want to bring out that first problem. And in a sense, I guess what I'm saying is I hope you hear me clearly I don't believe in prayer. I don't believe in prayer. I believe in the living God. Belief in prayer is merely a substitute something else. not Jesus. Uh, actually, there's an old preacher, a wonderful example of this. I'll give you an example of just how crazy it is. But uh, many of you, I don't know where you bank, but I, I don't bank at uh, Bank of America. But let's say I went in there. Let's say I went down. There's one down the street here. You go know, to Bank of America, walk in. And say, hey, do you print checks here? Could you print checks that I can write out? like, sure, we sure do, sir. You sure, do you have an account with us? No. Well, what are you doing here? I believe in cashing checks. It's a fundamental belief I have. I believe in the power of of cashing checks. But that's what most prayer looks like before God. You have to have an account at the bank to make a withdrawal. And that is so true, even more true, even more poignantly and immediately and eternally true when it comes to our God. And so believing in prayer doesn't get you anywhere. And those who do believe in prayer in the Reformed tradition don't even practice it. But I'm going to actually make a claim here because I've already said, you know, maybe maybe you, uh, maybe you have this weird view of prayer where you think every prayer you have is worthwhile Or or it must appear before God, and it doesn't. Some scriptures don't promise that. But, you know, the second thing, I want to say something really clearly. And I say this to myself. If you claim to understand your Bible, to understand predestination, let's say, or the sovereignty of God, but you do not pray, then you don't understand that doctrine. That's what I'm trying to get at here. I'm trying to provoke you a little bit. I'm trying to provoke you, because... We do this all the time. We imagine we understand things. This happens a lot in spiritual life. We imagine we understand something because it appears to our mind that we have sorted out the logical problems and the logical possibilities and the inferences, and and we have an idea, and we think, oh, I have an idea in my head, therefore I understand it, and that's so far from the truth, right? Because there's a kind of knowing that's just here, but there's also a knowing that's here, right? It's experiential. There's a knowing that's personal. There's a knowing that's practical, as well as a knowing idea. And we must never be satisfied with ideas being in our head about God and not being in our hands, in our heart, in our mouths, in our touch. That that must never be in the church. There has to be in God's people a connection, right? So what I'm going to start with is you claim to love the doctrines of grace. That's what they're called in our tradition. And the doctrines of God's electing, choosing love from before the foundation of the world. But you do not pray. Then you believe something very different than what the Bible is describing. Now I, I, don't, I wish I could get into how it is you've misunderstood or or how you've excused or imagined, because this scripture is talking about the living God. I want you to the living God, the living one. Now, no holds barred. The living, the living God has a living sovereignty. It is burning incandescent in the atoms that that make the structure of this room and the universe. It is burning around suns a billion light years away, and it's here in this room. A living sovereignty. God's alive. So, so is his will. And who could know, predict, or understand that? He's eternal. And I have this idea that as we think and understand God's God's living exercise as a predestining love, we must always see it as something alive and personal. Something that can be touched and known and interacted with. And I don't even understand how. But I know it is so. Because a living knowledge of God and a living love for Him and a personal knowing of Him, what does it do? Well, you start saying, well, that's the reason. For this reason. yes, it's funny. Paul's capturing everything he just said, isn't he? God chooses to love sinners and love them forever. That's, isn't that Genesis? Isn't, I'm sorry. Isn't that Ephesians 1 1 through 14? God has chosen to love sinners and love them forever. That's the whole, that's the whole message. That's the story. That's the reason. That's the hope. And that means that, that sovereignty is alive with capturing, renewing, beautiful love. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a lie. That's not a dead letter, is it? that's not a dead prophecy that's not a fatalistic prediction and I just want to capture when Paul begins to describe the living God the God of this of this first of this opening part of Ephesians he is wondrous in scale and power and might and work and all that wonder and splendor is how he chooses I choose him. I choose him I choose her Praise. I want you to come to this God with a new sense of glory, a new sense of praise, a new sense of wonder, a new, and not be satisfied with your previous understanding. Don't be satisfied with it. We're satisfied with so little that we understand about our Father. Let's not be satisfied with that. You guys that I would know more. I, 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 I would ask you to do this, do this. Father, if I don't understand, Chris has just said I don't understand your sovereignty because I don't bother to pray. If you can say that, then you cry out to God now. To teach you what Paul understood. He can do it. And of course that's what Paul's going to preach. next. Let's go on. Let's keep going here. So my first response, what is this, for, for this reason is uh, everything that's been said in this text so far. Including the living God of sovereign love. God chooses to love sinners like us. He chooses to love us forever. That's the way he could sum up these first few words. Now, let's look at his actual plan of attack. If you take a look at me, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. So first, he's talking about reasons, then he's talking about a cause. We're going to jump into some of that next, next week, this idea of a report he's received about it, in Ephesians. I'm going to go a little further, though. i want to go to verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Um, Every letter says that. (laughs) He always says that. That is classic Pauline. So Pauline, it's one of the trademarks of his letters. And it's, it's it's this wonderful, effusive, alive thankfulness. It's just, it's just, he's brimming with a sense of thankfulness. And I think, honestly, that that, i want to invite you into, the, into, the, into Paul's reasoning, his for this reason reasoning, contains in it an attitude of thankfulness. All the oh, way. You know what I think thankfulness is, though? Thankfulness is living on the blistering edge that me standing right here is because Jesus put me here right now because he loves me so much, and he put Spencer right in front of me. Because he loves Spencer so much. And he put me right there. I mean, it's just living in this idea that his living sovereign choices are here right now. This is, you are a part, you are here because of his living sovereign. We're right on the cusp of it. Now if you live very close to that, you know what could start to happen? You start getting thankful. In fact, when you become more thankful, I think you move closer to that. Because what is thanksgiving but a constantly acknowledgement, constantly acknowledging constantly affirming, constantly saying, yeah, this is because of you. Yeah, this is because of you. Yeah, that's because of you. She's because of you. She's be- My wife's because of you. Yeah, all of it, yes, thank you. Thank you. I have such a wonderful church. I tell people that all the time. Well, I- I'm so thankful. Thank you. And I think there's something, all right, you know, it's interesting. There was a hidden brain about this recently. Ever, watch, ever listen to Hidden Brain? That, 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 there's a podcast. There's a wonderful psychological kind of analysis of the human mind. So one of the uh, public, public broadcasting groups puts it out. Anyway, it's called Hidden Brain. And they were talking about that, that, that therapists, in a wonderful abstract, that these tests they did with thousands of people were able to identify that if they had those people practice a little bit of thankfulness in the midst of the testing, the testing would change as it was measuring self-control or thoughts about them just being thankful. Utterly disconnected from what they were being tested on was just a practice that they had done, and the control groups didn't do any thankfulness. And these groups that did, there was a change in how they made decisions about the future. Huh? Okay, so if I was a humanist, I could come here and say, so be more thankful, Mia. It'll, it'll bring out that wonderful parts of your human, your human nature. And I could say that to all of you, but honestly, in the end, that is useless, that is useless encouragement. I want to get back to where thanks begin. I want to get, I want to, all right, so, um, I remember this experience when you have kids. Um, when you're raising kids in the South, I raised my, my two sons in the South, you have to teach them to say thank you all the time. You have to, because if they don't want to say thank you and you're welcome, it's socially going to go bad for them. It just will. They will, be, they will make stupid mistakes, and people won't respect them for it, because just because they don't say thank you and you're welcome. But there's a moment where you realize you win that battle as an adult, as a father, or you win that, par- that battle as a parent, where they're always saying thank you. And then you realize, you catch it one time, you realize that didn't mean they had a thankful heart. You could train them to say it, train them to, to cue it, to train them to know when to say it and how to say it. Train them to have sweet sincerity, as they say it. It doesn't mean there's anything thankful inside. You stumble on that when you realize you're like, wait a second. Those are just words, those are just habits, those are just pleasantries, those are just customs, And you thought maybe I was training godliness to but I'm not sure I was. I want a thankful heart. How do I get a thankful heart? <laughs> Let's go back for this reason. Hey, here hey, you know it's funny. Paul, Paul's for this reason. I he. It's everything he's been saying is what he's thankful for. Everything that he can imagine, is what this is what he is so thankful for. He is strumming to that beat. You know what he's pulling that little string there? He's pulling I remember Christ said to his disciples, Paul would have heard this story already. He would have known these stories because he knew Peter. And he heard the story when Christ said, stop rejoicing. Stop. Cut it out. Stop rejoicing the demons. The demons obey you. Stop it. I know you're really excited about being successful, guys. Do not rejoice. That you are such a superstar. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Be thankful for the key, the core things, and all the other thankfulness flows out of that. Why should you be so thankful that God chose to love a sinner like you? Praise Him! Because God, in His own delight, looked on a guy like Clay and said, "Yeah, why not?" Isn't that wonderful? Isn't what, what sort of God is, this is wonderful for us? You see. And so um, what we need to go back is I remember that there's a wonderful line from uh, I think it's I think it's Eats, but he says um, we have to get back to where all ladders start in the foul rag and bone shop of the heart to get down to the core of and and he has an, a view of man that was so empty and lonely and desolate. And I'm here to say, the ladder out of the foul rag and bone shop of your heart is so often, thank you for loving a sinner like me. Thanks. And thanks for loving me forever and never letting go. Thanks. Thanks for deciding on me before, before was even a thing. You know, before only it only exists when there's time. And we were told that before there was time, God chose us, and he chose Carol, and he chose me, and he chose Spencer. So before there was a before, God chose to love us sooner like Thank you! Why can you stop yourself? I mean, seriously, in your heart, how could you, is any of you in this moment, in your heart, just some part of you going, thank you, why, why, why did you? He had no good reason other than his own delight. He's that wonderful, and his delight, Are of the best kind. You see, I want us to—we need to reach in to touch what is, what, 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 what we should be most thankful for. And it's funny. Remember, I said thankfulness then is living on the blistering edge of a sovereignty that is constantly, immediately, always active. Now, you're like, whoa,
0: whoa.
1: That's going to be helpful as we go on now. Now, since I actually wrote in my notes, I'm going to get some groans from this, but I'm going to say it anyway. As a, as a way of kind of, okay, of kind of getting it started, is that your attitude determines your altitude. Now, I I know I, I hate saying it out loud, but I think it's true. I think there's an automatic ceiling, and your thankfulness is one of the very first ceilings you hit. bar. Yeah, it's funny. The thankfulness is in here when we're going to get. When the next thing he's going to do is pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. You think praying for the Holy Spirit would be the first thing, right? I mean that's the thing starts things. You know, it's funny. I think Thanksgiving is a little bit like a jump start for the heart sometimes. Uh, did you know this with your electric? Oh, yeah. Does anybody have an electric car here? Yeah, everybody has one. But it's really kind of fascinating thing about electric cars. Um, you know, you need a 12 volt battery to start it. To start your electric car, you need a normal car battery because the batteries that are in the electric cars are too powerful to start the electronics that run the car. Isn't that funny? So you have all this raw material and thousands of pounds of batteries and it won't start if it doesn't have a normal battery. In other words, you have to get a jump start if you have an electric car and your battery dies because the battery it's sitting on is too powerful. You can't use it to start the car. The electronics in a car are all 12 volt. They're all very, they're all easily friable. So, why do I put that out? I think that's what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is like the little, like a little battery. It's like a, it's like a little jump start to the heart. It kind of gets the, it's the one of the things that kind of opens you to reality. It kind of opens up your heart. It, and, and that's why I think Hidden Brain, when they realized when when psychologists began to test thankfulness, they began to find something that was very powerful. They can't explain why. Why does thankfulness work? They can't explain that why well, I can explain it. Because thankfulness puts you in the real universe. With a real God who does real things. Praise Him. That's what that Thanksgiving is living in that. Even if you don't know God, you're being to live in that. This is why it's written. Get this, guys. Get this. This is why it's written every single time Jesus ate something, he said thank you. Do you? Do you always say thank you? Do you always give thanks when you eat? Harry Ironside was a famous theologian, and uh, he was eating at a breakfast place one day, and it was really packed. And so uh, they, they sat a guy with him. And Dr. Ironside got his, got his breakfast, didn't begin to eat. The man said, uh, and before you get to eat, I'm sorry, he stopped, he prayed. Dr. Ironsides prayed. He was done praying. The guy across from him said, Oh, you're one of those? You're one of those people who prays for your food? You know what? When I get my food, I just dig right in and eat it. And Dr. Ironsides, without missing a beat, said, so does my dog. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? All right. Well, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to the what he prays for. We're going to revisit this text again. We're going to be in the loam of it. We're going to be in the heart of it. We're going to be taking it apart because I want to understand the three things he prays for. And I also want to talk about what are the eyes of my heart? And what kind of vision is that? Do I have 2020? Do you have 2020 in your heart? I don't know. What's your heart looking at? I love that idea, of eyes of my heart. We're going to look at all those things, this wonderful expression. But what I want to capture here is this final part. He prays for three things. The first thing he asks for, you'll see, is he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We're going to look at that in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Amen. But those two things produce three things. And there's a list. There are three what's. What is the hope? next clause is, what are the riches? And the last clause in verse 19 is, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Hope, riches and power. You know, it's funny. I was, you um, get to these, it, that's so triumphal. Isn't that a great way to end a sermon? <laughs> Believe in Jesus and you can have riches, power, and, and the reason I make a joke about it is just like the way the, the the fleshly heart misunderstands prayer or thinks it can go to God and doesn't understand God or, or all these different things, so too, when we come to passages like this, we can can hear them as American, as an American church. And and I guess in the end, a lot of us... I I have made the same mistake. I'm not just pointing the fingers here. I've done the same thing. And what I mean is is that um, this is going to... Only Jack's going to get this, but it's kind of for Jack anyway, this illustration. But it's either Jesus or Dragon Ball Z. Anybody watch Dragon Ball Z at all? No, you, don't, you didn't watch it. You probably watched it. You watch it ever? Well, you should have, for this illustration. Um, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is one of these Japanese anime stories, but they're all the anime stories are very similar. And you probably have seen like clips of them. And in the anime stories, what are the heroes always doing? They're flying. I mean, they're flying. They're always zapping around flying. What comes out of their hands? power, raw power, explodes out of their hands as they fight the bad guys, you know? Don't you, don't you kind of wish that Christianity was kind of like that? Wouldn't it be kind of fun? If I was, as a preacher, I could like fly and shoot sparks out of my hands and defeat demons. Kind of a fantasy of mine, but let's, let's talk about that another time. I'm glad somebody laughed at that. All right, so... Um, That's the way we tend to hear these things. And um, somebody I love very much right now is in the hospital, suffering with so much pain. She can't think. So is, is the bleeding out of his sovereign choice right there, right now with her? I was thinking about this <sighs> hope riches and power i kept thinking who has lived out this in a way that makes sense to me because i don't feel like that's my life and then it hit me for this reason she's always going back to paul what paul understands about jesus and then this was let me tell you something you need to always be praying for me this, this text proves it because when when you pray for I believe that not only do I have triumph in holiness, but I think that I, I think God opens things up to my heart. And this is what happened today. I was talking about this. I'm thinking about this text. And, and I was thinking about, or oh, you know, well, Jesus, are you a good example? That's exactly what I said. I was like talking to God. I'm like, Jesus, are you kind of, a, are you an example of this? Of how we, and I like hit me. Wham! It was like, it was like out of nowhere. Of course he is. What were his hopes focused on? No, he said his hopes focused, Eternal glory, not this world. Well, I can walk into that triumph, can't you? I'm not seeking hope and seeking for seeking for fullness out of empty things. How many of you have been going to the empty things of this world, expecting to be filled? There's no hope. But the hope to which it's calling us is the hope that Christ—a hope for an eternal kingdom and a hope in. The love of the Father and the hope in a God who chooses to love sinners like you and me. Richard? Richard? It was written that the birds of the air have nests, foxes have little holes they can creep into at night. But the Son of Man has no place. unimaginable riches for the whole universe. It was Spoken by the word of God. <laughs> Great. He looked for riches that weren't here. And finally, power. Power? He exerted almost no power at all all the men in this world wanted to control and manipulate and have and tell thousands what they should do and our savior who deserved all that glory did not grasp that power for himself but he emptied himself and you know what jesus had (laughs) you know what our savior had i'll tell you what he had the hope he was called to the riches of glorious inheritance in his holy ones and an immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do you know what the next line is? That raised Jesus Christ from the dead. <laughs> you see, Jesus lives and inhabits how we, can have, we have these things, but it doesn't look triumphalistic sometimes, right? It doesn't look that way. You, you know, people aren't looking at you sometimes, you, you know, going, oh, well, there's somebody with riches, power. and, and you know, No, right? look at us. Nobody's, nobody's going to walk in here and say that about us. Praise him. Because the path of godliness and the path of the cross and the path of my Savior and the path in this world, yeah, it, it's a path of hope, riches, and power. But it's all part of another kingdom. And it's real and it's present. Thank our fathers. And where does it all come from? Where does this hope? Where does the hope begin to radiate? Why do the riches seem so so real and tangible? Well, because God chose to love sinners like you and me. Now, I want to end with this last tip, last piece. Paul seems to think it's for this reason. And he is a part, his prayers are a part of their holiness. But the reason they could have hope, too, is because he's praying for them. That's one of the reasons. Because when the two people of God pray, things happen. <laughs> right? God, God is on the move. He's living. Nothing can hold him. His life itself. Hmm. I have this picture that, that Paul is so committed to them because he sees his role as a part of that. And I have never seen so much how that's my role in your life, too. like, like uh, 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 and, and I want you to hear, it. it's your role in my life. You remember Joshua and Caleb? You know, there's this moment, and it's so true in leadership, and there's this wonderful story where Moses is, is he's the leader, and he's over the people of God, and they're fighting the enemy. And every time, he's, as he's praying, with his arms lifted. Do you know what happens to the people of God while they're fighting the enemy? Every time his arms are lifted, as Moses is lifted. What happened? Well, every time his arms are lifted in prayer, the people of God win. <sighs> he gets tired. I get tired. We get, we get tired. We get tired. I'm getting tired even just holding him up like this. That's how, that's how lazy I am. Moses was in his 80s. So what happened? Joshua came to one side. Caleb came to another and held up his arms. There's a beautiful church down on uh, Bush Street. Um, is it Bush? I think it's Bush. Where the flying buttresses, you ever seen that? It's, it's, it's the Catholic Church right down by Folsom. It, it's got flying buttresses, you ever seen? They're, they're awesome. I love flying buttresses. You know flying buttresses? There's these huge, huge structural elements on an old cathedral they are outside. And it, look, it looks like they're flying and it looks like they're holding up. You, you can see the structural forces. They're holding that building together. And it's something beautiful, and I just have this, you know, that's what I want. That's what I want. I, I think I'm going to fail if I don't have that. I'm almost sure I will. I wanted to have that for you. I want you to have that for me. I want us to have this sense of supporting each other like Paul's doing here. That now there's hope for a movement of God and the spirit of wisdom and revelation and all these things can be hopeful and new life and people can come to faith and, and there's just, that we can hope, we hope for those things together, I, I, I will dare to hope for these things together. May, may, uh, yes, I will. But, will you join me in praying for this reason? That God chose to love sinners like you, forever, and never let us go. Praise Him. All right. Let's pray. Father, I ask for these truths to you. Would I pray that you would seal them into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We, Holy Spirit, uh, I'm just a man. I've said a lot of things, and I, my words are just words. But 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 you, you 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 take things that are said, and you can do things I can't do. And and you could you could take a young woman or a young man tonight, and and turn their heart to you. Just make them come alive as they reach out to you. I, I know I've seen it happen. I don't know why you do it, or when you do it, or will you if you will do it, but Father, Father, for this reason, because you chose to love sinners, that was your business and your delight. You chose to love sinners forever in your Son Jesus, and to never let them go. And for this reason, I'm asking. I'm asking for these folks. I'm asking for myself. I'm asking for San Francisco. I just want to keep asking. And I want the whole I want you, Holy Spirit, now to come. We uh, it, we're not we're not worthy of, of revival and all those things, perhaps. But who the worthiness never had anything to do with it anyway. <laughs> it's all great. So we turn down to that grace and just ask for it to flow with new freedom, with new power into our lives. By the grace of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit.